A warm welcome to you if you joined us during the worship there. It's just a wonderful time. And uh, just love these mornings when we get to dedicate children. And um, I kind of was thinking about it. It's a little bit, the dedication, these kind of services are a little bit more formal, aren't they? You know, it's, um, we have that formal moment when people come forwards and they make their commitments and what have you. And I kind of thought it's a little bit like a wedding. You know, you've been to a wedding, and those of us who've been married, that kind of nervousness, that kind of, oh, my goodness. And, and, but after you've done the vows, and if you haven't blubbed your way through them, which some people have been known to do in the past, that was me, um, <laughs> and you've kissed the bride and all this, and suddenly it's like, oh, phew, it's all done, and we can kind of relax. So we're kind of relaxed now. I went to get myself a coffee because I was slightly parched. And uh, I normally go to the toilet during the break, actually, but I actually went to get a coffee. Not that you needed to know that. <laughs> Too much information. Have we started the recording yet? Oh, we have. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Edit. Yeah, one moment. So, um, as Chantelle was doing the dedication there, and she began to read out, some of the words, some of the prophetic words that were given over these tiny lives uh, presented before the Lord and before us, it kind of really made me think. Sometimes I think sometimes when we receive and we hear kind of words, we call them words in church. If you're not churchy, uh, sometimes us Christians, we make up interesting names. Um, but the word is, uh, these prophetic words, dreams, spoken, senses, that people have heard from God about people's lives. And I kind of think sometimes when we hear them, oh, that's nice, and oh, that's really... But actually, if we were to take those very words which have been spoken and really believe that's from the Father, that is the God-given destiny over those young children's lives. And it is partly the parents' responsibility to nurture that and fashion that and steer that young life in the right direction. It is also our responsibility as a church, as a family, as a community of believers to foster and nurture and encourage and get and help that person become the very person they're meant to be. And then it made me think, goodness, how many of our lives are sat here this morning? We just want to hear the voice of our Father that simply says, I know you. I called you by name. I know you, I love you, and I have dreamt plans to prosper you since before you were even born. And somewhere along the line, we have gone off track. We've <laughs> gone off the rails. We have deviated from God's given destiny for our lives. And one of the things that we love so much about being uh, his children, one of the things we love so much about joining together as family is becoming the very person that God intended us to be. We are never as fulfilled in our lives until we hear the voice of the Father who tells us, you are my son. You are my daughter. I know you. I've called you by name. I love you. 
that's not even an introduction this morning. Here goes the introduction. What have we got time-wise? Oh, my dears. Here we go. We are on, uh, that didn't really come out right, did it? Oh, my days is really what I tried to say. We are uh, in the middle of a series uh, about healing for those of us who've joined us this, this morning. And uh, I want to somehow pick up on last week. Last week, we began a theology of healing. We believe wholeheartedly that Jesus not only healed the sick and raised the dead and cast out demons and did a whole bunch of just crazy and exciting stuff in those days. Not only did he do it then, but he's still in the business of doing it today in and through us. And uh, it's a journey that we're on as a church. And uh, just to pick up a couple of things, what we said last week and then introduce them to this week. We stated that sickness that comes to us is the result of death caused by the fall. And it is incredibly prevalent in our lives today. Our NHS is bursting at the seams, is under immense pressure because of sickness. It's not just physical sickness that we've been talking about and journeying about over the last number of weeks. We've been talking about relational breakdown. We've been talking uh, about emotional health. We've been talking about spiritual health over the last few weeks. And sickness is a result of man's disobedience to living in uh, shalom peace in the Garden of Eden right at the very beginning. But that healing can come through as a result of the resurrection through the wounded healer, through Jesus himself. And that sickness and healing are at war with each other in this season, in this time now. Because Jesus came and he brought the kingdom and he demonstrated the kingdom through signs and through wonders and through his words. And we are living in today. Which means this, this is where we get our theology. That when we pray for one another, sometimes God does the miracle. And sometimes someone gets healed. But... Sometimes when we pray for the miracle, we're praying for someone to be well, nothing seemingly seems to take place. And we've used this phrase before, we live in what's known as the kingdom now and not yet. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about that this morning. What I would like us to do is this, is we're going to have a little bit of a tour of Mark's gospel, uh, just to say... Uh, we're going to be reading in a moment from Mark chapter 1. And Mark, of all the Gospels, is the shortest Gospel. There are four Gospels. There's three of them. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. And Mark was the first one, I think, that was written. And it was written um, by Peter's words. Peter, who was the eyewitness account, who was with Jesus. Um, that's where Mark gets most of the content. And we're going to look at a few stories this morning, which Mark recorded um, it's a whistle-stop tour of Jesus' life. I, it was the first part of the Bible that I ever read at the age of 16. Uh, the chaplain, the prison chaplain, uh, who I met with um, when I was 16 um, as a visitor when I was going in, <laughs> just to clarify, um, he had quite a profound effect on my life, actually, and would really speak into my life. And he, he gave me a copy of Mark's Gospel, as a really early believer, and I it had like a reading plan at the back, kind of roughly, roughly speaking, if you divide the 16 chapters into two, roughly it takes about 30 days to read. And I had like a tick box thing of all these verses and chapters that I was meant to read, and I did it 
I'm going to say religiously, that would be the wrong word. I did it diligently on a daily basis. And I was reading the scriptures and I was just so blown away by it. Why am I telling you all this? It is a great starting place in the Bible. If you're not a believer or a new believer, it is a great starting place. Um, in terms of 66 books in this Bible that were like, oh my goodness, how do we begin to read this? Is it relevant for my life today? Yes, it is. Go there. Dive in. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I wonder how many of you can remember your first day at school. Uh, I mean, oh, there's the coffee gone everywhere. That's a big mistake. Sorry. Um, thanks. Um, I wonder if you can remember your first day at school. I, I really remember mine. And um, I was at a school in Hertfordshire. It was called St. Clement Danes. It sounds very posh, doesn't it? Um, it's a comprehensive school, but it was in quite a nice area. So, um, so anyway, I was there, and I remember my first lesson with my history teacher. Um, and I remember she, she was just teaching this class, and she could tell we were really, really nervous, new first years, all in our new uniforms and what have you. And she would retell the story about the, um, the head boy, the head boy's name. I remember it was a guy called Paul West. And she would tell us this story to encourage us. She said, I remember when Paul was a first year, just like you. He was nervous. He was shy. And he came. And now look at Paul, the head boy. And I remember um, seeing Paul uh, play football in the first 11. He was a great footballer. I remember hearing stories um, about him. I remember him getting up and speaking at the school speech day. I remember one uh, lunchtime as a first year walking down to the uh, assembly hall. Uh, in fact, it was, sorry, it was a sports hall. It was twice the size of this. And he was on his own. He was playing basketball. And he was dribbling and he was shooting and all this. And I just thought, as a first year, looking up at this big six one going, I want to be like him. There was something about him that I thought, I want to emulate that. Modeling is everything. Everything. And when it comes to this subject of healing, Jesus is our model. He announces and enacts the kingdom wherever he went. He says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. History has reached its climax. It's the day of Yahweh. The prophecies of Israel's time and destiny are now about to be fulfilled. It's at hand. The kingdom is at hand. Now the Jews, they would have thought Messiah has come. When Messiah has come, he's going to overthrow the Romans. Because they weren't looking for uh, the, the Messiah, which was Jesus. They were, in their mindset, was thinking this. Oh, please, would someone come and overthrow our tyranny being subjected to the Roman Empire? And that's what they were thinking of. And yet God, who sends the Messiah, his own son, 
was coming to defeat an enemy far, far greater than Caesar or any Roman oppressor. The end has come. King Jesus, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is announcing the end of Satan's reign of sin and sickness and demons and the beginning of new life, the restoration of all things, salvation, shalom, sozo. Jesus also says in this passage, repent and believe the good news. Turn away from your sins. Now they would have had some understanding of this already because John the Baptist had come before Jesus in this earlier passage. John was the one who preached a message of repentance. Come, come, turn from your ways. Let me put you into the waters, the waters of baptism, which is a symbol and a sign of repentance, of turning. But repentance is much more than just saying sorry. It is much more than turning from our sin and sinning no more. The Greek word metanoia means a change of mind, to see things differently. And the Jewish people needed to change their minds. Their minds of what Messiah was to look like was not the Messiah that came. And they needed a complete change of mind. Believe means opening and trusting yourself to what God is doing. God is actively present, asserting his kingship over evil, changing our thinking, our preconceived ideas, opening ourselves up to God's possibilities. And I think in this whole area, as I've been pondering this and talking to some of you, and I appreciate how honest many of you have been when we've been talking about this subject of healing, is some of us need to repent. And I don't mean say necessarily say sorry, although some of us might need to in this whole area. But some of us need to change our mind shift and think, goodness, help me with my unbelief. Help me to believe. Give me this paradigm shift that I might choose to believe that God's kingdom can still come and will come when I lay hands on the sick. Receiving and ministering the kingdom. Jesus, our model. How did he do it? Jesus invites 12 disciples to come follow me and make me fishers of men. The stories that we're about to read in a moment are stories where he not only spoke about the kingdom, not only demonstrated the kingdom, but he also began to train his 12 disciples to do the kingdom stuff. The first one we read about is in Mark chapter 1, 21 and 28. Jesus enters into a synagogue. Synagogue in those days was, I guess, the equivalent of a, of a church. It was the meeting place. It was the Jewish place where the Torah the, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures would have been read. And then the rabbi, which was the teacher, would have spoken. And Jesus is at the age of 30, and he begins to teach. And the people there were amazed. They were absolutely amazed at this man's teaching. 
They couldn't believe that he taught with such authority because he didn't quote other rabbis, which is what the custom was. He spoke purely from, uh, from the scriptures which had been handed down, and he began to expound them. Now, as he's teaching, imagine this now. I'm teaching here this morning, uh, but imagine he's teaching and someone in the audience, in his hearing, screams out the following, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This isn't just an average person just speaking. This is actually an evil spirit who is provoked from Jesus' very present, who's speaking through someone. And Jesus replies the following. He says, be quiet. Come out of him. He speaks six words. Six simple, plain words with great authority. And the impure spirit shakes the man violently and comes out. The people respond, a new teaching and authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits. Bang. Beginning. Chapter 1. Mark's gospel. Right in the middle of it. Jesus speaking. Jesus demonstrating power over the evil one. Remember what we said at the beginning. This is about sickness and about healing. Sickness that comes through the enemy. Sickness through Satan's um, ability and power to cause havoc and wreak chaos. And yet Jesus comes to speak order into chaotic situations and people's lives. Chapter 1 of Mark. There it is. Shalom triumphs. He speaks order into chaos. Mark 1, 29 and 35, we see that Jesus also rules over sickness. They leave the meeting at the synagogue, and they go to Simon and Andrew's home for a spot of lunch. You know, Jesus had a busy morning, he's out the synagogue, a bit like us, and oh, just went home for a spot of lunch, and so he goes to Simon and Andrew's home, but he gets there, and Simon's mother-in-law's sick, so there's no lunch. It's a slight joke. Not many of you are with me here, but you're getting it as we go along. So she's sick. She's ill in bed. She has this fever. Now, Mark's gospel says Jesus took her by the hand and helped her up. Matthew, account of the same story, says that Jesus touched her. This gives us uh, a piece of the jigsaw or a piece of uh, when we talk about laying hands on one another, when we pray for one another. Jesus touched her. Luke's account says that Jesus bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. By rebuking the fever indicates that the sickness was an affliction from Satan. It then reports later on in that evening that many who were sick and who were demon-possessed came and were brought to Jesus and it says that Jesus healed many. So Jesus has rulership over sickness. Mark 2, 1 to 12, Jesus rules over sin. A few days later after this account, Jesus uh, goes into Capernaum and teaches in Peter's house. It's rammed full of people. Many of you will know the story. We spoke on it not so long ago. It's full to the brim of people. People of all walks of life, people who want to hear, people have heard the stories of Jesus' amazement, how he's healed already. 
And it's also full of the religious folks, the Pharisees, the people that are like, what is this man doing? What is he speaking of? It's so full that no one else could get in. And yet this paralytic man was brought by some friends. This paralyzed man that could not walk and was brought on a mat by some friends. There was no room to get in through the door. And so they dig this hole in the ceiling, this hole in the roof, and they begin to lower this paralytic man down on a mat in the midst of everyone, in the very center of the room. When Jesus sees the faith of the men, he says to the man on the mat, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's interesting. This man is a guy that needs physical healing. And yet Jesus' words to him were, Son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders who were gathering there, they were disgruntled. They're going, how can this man say this? This is blasphemy. How can any human being say those words? words I love it about Jesus he knows what they're thinking (laughs) that's a pretty special gift isn't it like it's bad enough hearing what each of us say sometimes let alone knowing what each of us are thinking get my drift Jesus knows what they're thinking and he says to them which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or get up and walk Of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It took me ages to kind of figure out what what Jesus was trying to say about this. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you don't know whether it happens or not. The audience wouldn't know if it had actually taken place or not. But to say get up and walk is far harder because the audience there would actually visibly see that it had happened and it had taken place. But then Jesus goes on to say, he says, but the son of man, I want to show you that I have the authority to say these things. I say to you, get up, take your mat and go home. The critics there had to recognize Jesus' forgiveness of sin had been effective. Jesus rules over evil spirits. Jesus rules over sickness. And Jesus rules over sin. Two more and then we'll land. Jesus rules over nature. Mark 4, 35 to 41. A few days later, after uh, Jesus was teaching at a kingdom conference, uh, all the people are gathered from all the nations and they've got their lanyards and their um, and what have you. There was great worship at it, I hear. There was an album released straight after it and uh, what have you. So he was the keynote speaker at the Kingdom Conference, and uh, so they was tired. So they cross over the other side of the lake uh, by boat, and uh, in the story we, we learn this. Jesus is asleep on the boat when a furious squall, what brilliant words, a big storm, we're assuming, comes, breaks over the boat. Now, the experienced fishermen who were, I was going to say driving the ship, That would be wrong, Hugo. Sailing the ship? Yes, thank you. I needed to speak to a nautical man. And um, just to clarify that, they're the experienced ones. They're the fishermen. Jesus isn't. 
He's a carpenter. He's only good with wood. The experienced fisherman wake Jesus up from his sleep. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He wakes up, rebukes the wind and the waves. This is what he says. Be still, quiet, quiet, be still. Three words. You see this healing malarkey? I think we get hung up. I think we think, oh man, we've got to have a PhD in theology. Oh, I can't even say the word. That, that, I just did that for your benefit to make you feel good. Um, <laughs> I think we think that we have to have it all together. I think we think we have to do this, that, the other. Jesus speaks a few words and order comes to chaos. Jesus speaks three words and the waves subside and the wind is stilled. The disciples say to one another, they are freaked out at this point. It says they were terrified, not freaked out. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He rebukes the wind and the waves, much like the way he did the demons and sickness. He has authority over the nature. Lastly, Jesus rules over death. Mark 5, 21. Jairus is a synagogue leader who has come to some understanding and relationship with Jesus. And uh, he has a 12-year-old daughter who is dying. And he goes to find Jesus en route as he is coming towards Jesus. He, Jesus himself encounters uh, this woman who has found him, has sought him out. A woman who has been subjected to bleeding for 12 years. Who in the midst of a crowd reaches out and touches his garment, the hem the bottom part of his garment. And because of it, he recognized that power had left him and had gone and had healed this woman. That's another story. During this encounter, Jairus comes to Jesus. And uh, at, the at the very same point, the Jairus's men come to him and say, don't bother the teacher. Don't get the teacher. It's over. Your daughter is dead. Jesus overhears this conversation and he says some brilliant words which many of us in this room need to hear this morning. Don't be afraid. Just believe. We got to apply those five words to many of our lives this morning. Don't be afraid. Just believe. He's encouraging not to allow the voice of fear to speak loudly and to dominate their thinking. And he's promoting and encouraging that same faith that led Jairus in the first place to come and seek Jesus out in the first place. He's encouraging them. Jesus goes to Jairus' house and he takes his closest three disciples, Peter, James and John. And he says to the pe people who are wailing and there's a commotion of, of uh, grief because this daughter has died. Jesus says, the child is not dead but asleep. 
he goes into the room where she lays with Jairus and his wife and his three disciples. He takes her by the hand and he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. That's eight words. Not many words. Get up. Her spirit returns and she gets up to everyone's amazement. Jesus goes against the Jewish law, which says this, never to touch a corpse. It's one of the most defiling of things, uh, breaking of the law. He touches and speaks life and life returns. Jesus even rules over death. These stories illustrate the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is good news. These stories happened. They are true. And Jesus is still in the business of performing great miracles as his kingdom comes to earth. He does this modeling it to the disciples. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how we're to participate in this. He says the following words, and we end with this. The kingdom is at hand. Reach out. It's on your lips. Speak out. It's all around you. Step out. Why don't we come? The guys from the worship team are just coming up, they're going to lead us in a song of worship. And as they do that, I'm just going to invite you to stand together.